Hello and welcome back to the Yeshua Judaism series of podcast. Today I will present another common sense proof which proves beyond doubt that Yeshua the Messiah, known to most by his false name Jesus, is definitely not God. And this is one of those, there are, and you've heard, I'm sure, in other podcasts, I, have, I apply a common sense approach versus what I call verse warfare. Verse warfare is when you have two people who disagree on a biblical topic, and they each go cherry-pick and select various verses that support their opinion, which, frankly, you can find verses in the Bible that support whatever opinion you may have on just about anything. So they go select these verses, and then they hurl them back and forth. And, well, it says this here, and then the other says, well, it says this here, and it says this there, and it says, and, and nothing ends up being resolved. Absolutely nothing. Because you can always find a passage that when you strip it from context, it appears to support your opinion. So I avoid that. I have totally avoid it. Now, I bring up a lot of passages, obviously, in my discussions, but I don't, I don't participate in verse warfare. What I try to do is appeal to the common sense of the listener. The common sense. God has given you common sense. God has given you the ability to reason and to think. And that's what I appeal to. to and also I appeal to listeners to take their brains back from their pastors and Christian leaders and to stop outsourcing their eternal destiny. Claim your eternal destiny for yourself. It is the most valuable thing you will ever have, and you should not let someone else determine the outcome of such an enormously important topic or concept. Do not outsource your eternity. Because if the individual you're outsourcing to is wrong, you may lose your eternity. So I appeal to common sense, and I appeal to people to think for themselves and to stop outsourcing to their pastors or rabbis or whoever may be telling them what to believe. So today's topic is on the worship of other gods. Other gods meaning false gods other than the one and only true God. The worship of other gods. And how worshiping a God in the flesh, Messiah, is undeniable worship of other gods. So I'll start with a rare admission of guilt from Christianity. And this is indeed rare. You do not come across this very often. It is sometimes possible to find a bit of honesty when reading about the history of the church within Christian literature regarding the Trinity and other God-in-the-flesh Messiah doctrines. I am referring to the frank admission at times within such writings that the notion of the Trinity and thus any other God-in-the-flesh doctrine is absent from both the Tanakh, irreverently called the Old Testament, and from the New Testament. For instance, the following quote is taken from the Moody Handbook of Theology. All right, this is a Christian, a Christian book, okay? The Moody Handbook of Theology. 
and this is a quote. A major problem in formulating the doctrine of the Trinity related to the Old Testament monotheistic belief. How could the church recognize the belief that God is one and yet acknowledge the deity of Christ? In its beginnings, the church had no clear concept of the Trinity. Now notice that. A major problem of Christianity in formulating the doctrine of the Trinity was the monotheistic belief of the Tanakh. And he, it frankly admits, in its beginnings, that is the beginning of the church, in its beginnings the church had no clear concept of the Trinity. So, we see in this quote that a major problem, that's quoting from the actual book, that had to be overcome before formulating, that is inventing or manufacturing, the Trinity, for which there is, quote, no clear concept, again, that's quoting directly from the Moody Handbook of Theology, found in the pages of the New Testament, that major problem, which had to be overcome before formulating, that is, before inventing the Trinity, for which there is no clear concept found in the Bible, was the Old Testament monotheistic belief. That's a very... <laughs> enlightening and illuminating admission within the Moody Handbook of Theology. Likewise, the following quote is from Harper's Bible Dictionary. Again, this, this is a Christian publication. So, quoting, In the New Testament, the monotheistic convictions of Judaism are taken for granted. The first of all the commandments, according to Jesus, is the Shema, the affirmation of the oneness of God. And that's taken from Mark chapter 12, verse 29. The New Testament letters also emphasize the oneness of God, such as 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, and 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. So the New Testament letters also emphasize the oneness of God and correlate it with the one Lord or mediator and the one faith and baptism. And then later, Continuing the quote, Nevertheless, the close association of Jesus with God seems to lead toward the seeing of monotheism in a different way, wherein deity has inner distinction as well as unity. The implications of this are not yet worked out within the New Testament, notice that, and only beginnings toward an answer are presented, end quote. And again, that's from Harper's Bible Dictionary. Notice that God seems to lead, that is, the monotheism seems to lead toward the seeing of monotheism is a, in a different way. That is, the, the association with Jesus and God seems to lead towards that. Where the deity has inner distinction as well as unity. Now, that actually violates the, the Shema, and I may get into that later. The, the true God is what they call a simple unity, He has no parts, there is no inner distinction. He's a perfect unity, and I won't go into that here, it's very deep, but that right there, that statement, is a blatant example of how 
exactly what I often say, which is that Christian leaders have no concept of the true nature of God. When they say that deity has inner distinction, right there, that proves they don't even know what God is. All right? All right. And then it continues, the implications of this are not worked out within the New Testament. Now, notice that. That's basically admitting that the Trinity and the God and the flesh Messiah isn't even in the New Testament. And it continues, only beginnings towards an answer are presented. In other words, the church, once it was usurped by Rome, then invented the God and the flesh concept and the Trinity. All right. So as I just suggested, Harper's Bible Dictionary, the author correctly points out that, quote, in the New Testament, the monotheistic convictions of Judaism are taken for granted, end quote, which means that the New Testament authors saw no need to clarify what was already an established foundational Judaic belief with which they agreed. That is, they agreed with the monotheistic convictions of Judaism. The author also wrote that the truth, when he emphasizes how the oneness of God was a principle upon which Yeshua and the authors of the New Testament based their faith, he's correct in that. Yeshua himself said, and and you ask any rabbi today, and they will say that the foremost commandment is the the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. All right? The author provides proof of a change that took place in the understanding of God as the church began to be led, quote, quoting from the author, toward seeing, excuse me, toward the seeing of monotheism in a different way, end quote, because, quote, it seems to lead, end quote, in that direction. Now, that is an implicit, actually it's an explicit admission that the proof of such a different way of seeing monotheism is at best questionable. It had to be invented by the Romanized church following the usurping of truth beginning as early as the the 2nd century under Emperor Hadrian, the Roman Emperor Hadrian. True monotheism was abandoned, completely abandoned by the church fathers, as they're called. A tragic and severe withdrawal from truth that continues to this very day. There is also an admission in the quote that I read earlier that the implications of this, that is the the church's new hybrid monotheism, are not yet worked out within the New Testament. They admit it. In other words, the form of monotheism promoted by Christianity, which is actually the ancient pagan polytheism of the Roman Empire, is not found in the New Testament. It had to be, quote, worked out, end quote, and presented, quote, in a different way, end quote, from what was, up to that point, a solid and clear monotheistic understanding of God. The Tanakh 
irreverently called the Old Testament, unfortunately, within Christianity, is firm and uncompromising in its promotion of one and only one eternal creator God. Within the Tanakh, monotheism is an undisputed expression of the nature of that creator. This discussion will focus upon how the notion of a trinity or any other God-in-the-flesh Messiah teaching is a fundamental violation of that clear understanding of the one and only true God. Therefore, the Christian doctrines of a God-incarnate Messiah are grossly erroneous and nothing less than pure and blatant idolatry. Christian and counterfeit Messianic leaders have turned the true monotheism upside down, which was taken for granted within the writings of the New Testament. Now, as is common within the podcast, I will use Messiah's or Christ's actual name of Yeshua instead of the incorrect name of Jesus. I provide proof elsewhere on the Torah Messiah website, and I will probably eventually have it in podcast form, of Christianity's intentional changing of the name of Messiah in order to make it non-Jewish. Okay. Now on with the discussion of how Christianity promotes the worship of other gods. Basically, Christianity promotes idolatry. All right. The Bible's severe warning against the worship of other gods. In the Tanakh, especially the Torah, that is Genesis through Deuteronomy, there are few more forceful, often repeated warnings from God than the direct command against following after other gods. This prohibition is, of course, among the Ten Commandments written upon the tablets of stone. The practice of following after other gods is the very epitome of idolatry, which is the most destructive sin in the entire Bible. Though there may be a difference of opinion as to what specifically constitutes idolatry, no one who claims allegiance to the Bible will argue against the fact that idolatry is strictly forbidden. Okay, I'm going to read some some passages, and I'll first read from the King James Version, and then I will read from the JPS Tanakh, that is the Jewish Publication Society Tanakh. Now, this is a long series of verses, all right, and but just stay with me. I'm going to get, I'm going to first read from Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 through 6. And then uh, I'm going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. And again, I'll read first from the King James Version. And then I'll read next from the JPS Tanakh. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 through 6, King James Version. Thou shalt Have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow thyself down to them, nor serve them. For I, Yodhevave, or God, thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, 
and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Now reading from the JPS Tanakh, Exodus 20, verses 3 through 6. And of course, this is the Ten Commandments I'm reading, or part of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods besides me. You shall not make for yourself a sculptured image or any likeness of what is in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, Yodhevave, your God, am, a, am an impassioned God, visiting the guilt of the parents upon the children, upon the third and upon the fourth generations of those who reject me, but showing kindness to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now reading from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. First from the King James. Thou shalt, and again, this is giving of the, of the Ten Commandments again in Deuteronomy. It's first given in Exodus chapter 20, and then you find it again in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So Deuteronomy 5, verses 7 through 10, King James. Thou shalt have none other gods before me. Thou shalt not make thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters beneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them, nor serve them. For I, Yotevafe, thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. And finally, from the JPS Tanakh, again Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. You shall have no other gods beside me. You shall not make for yourself a sculptured image, any likeness of what is in the heavens above, or on the earth below, or in the waters below the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, yod your God, am an impassioned God, visiting the guilt of the parents upon the children, upon the third and upon the fourth generations of those who reject me, but showing kindness to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Okay. So what I, from what I just read, which is, again, taken from the Ten Commandments, first in Exodus and then in Deuteronomy, from what I just read, you will note the following. First, there are to be no other gods besides the eternal Creator God. Second, there are to be no images of any type to which one expresses divine adoration. Third, there is to be no divine worship of anything other than the Creator God. I discuss elsewhere on the TorahMessiah.org website and will eventually have in podcast form how the worship of Messiah as well as others is not divine worship. Unfortunately, however, Christianity does cause it to be divine worship. But it is possible to worship or show adoration for someone without it being divine worship, which is set aside only for the Creator God. Okay, and finally, number four, God is a very jealous, impassioned God who will not tolerate worship of other gods. All right. 
The covenant we are to have with God is literally a spiritual marriage contract. It is for this reason idolatry is equated to adultery or harlotry all throughout Scripture, and why idolaters are called adulterers, harlots, or whores. The jealousy of God is as a husband towards the wife who adulterously betrayed him. This is also, by the way, a basis for God's view of the sanctity of marriage. Except for the most extreme and obvious circumstances, divorce is a dagger to the heart of all that is holy. Those victimized by such betrayal know all too well the intense, lasting pain that is inflicted upon God whenever we break our covenant with Him, our marriage covenant with Him. A pain that is only healed when we repent, renew our vows, and join again in the marriage covenant to which we are called to God. Now, at this point, no Christian or Christianized counterfeit messianic will argue with me. All will agree that the Bible strictly forbids idolatry. However, one is hard-pressed to defend Roman Catholicism's open embrace and promotion of icons, shrines, and images of all sorts, most notably the blasphemously horrid veneration of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I mean, that is so blatant an idolatry, and they do it all over the world, Catholics. Sadly, like I've said in other material, Roman Catholics are like fish who do not realize they are wet. They are oblivious to the fact that they are swimming. Catholics, Roman Catholics are literally swimming in abominable teachings, and most do not even care to read the scriptures to correct it. Nevertheless, even they, in their own distorted manner, teach that the veneration of false gods is forbidden. So, how can we define other gods which are forbidden to worship? How do we do that? How can one easily determine what constitutes a god of which worship is forbidden? At first glance, this issue opens a big can of worms from which opinions crawl and slither all over the place. So how can we quickly and assuredly determine exactly what God meant when he instructed us to refrain from going after other gods. As always, the pure word of the eternal God provides the answer. And it is at this point we can begin to see how widespread idolatry actually is even among devoted Christian believers who have no idea that they are committing the offense. The clearest discussion of this actually comprises an entire chapter in the book of Deuteronomy, or Devarim. Please, do not be slack in your reading of this extremely important contextual passage of Scripture. It, it is going to be a bit lengthy, and I'm going to read it. However, it is among the most important passages in all the Bible, people. If more Christians and counterfeit messianics 
were aware of the crucial nature of this text and ensured that their beliefs were held to the standards which it defines, the grip of idolatry in the world would be dealt a severe blow. Now, I'll be reading from Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 32, and then I'll jump over to Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 18. And the reason I do that, because chapter 12 ends at verse 32. So Deuteronomy 12, verse 32, through Deuteronomy 13, verse 18. And again, as before, I'll first read from the King James Version, and then I'll read from the JPS Tanakh. Now, the JPS Tanakh, their, their verse numbering is off by one. There's one difference in verse numbering. And I'll, it goes from Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. It doesn't begin in Deuteronomy chapter 12. And that's just because of the verse numbering is just one number different. All right. So Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 32 through chapter 13, verse 18. First from the King James Version. And again, people, this is very important area of Scripture. Listen to this very closely. And this is God through Moses saying this. So Deuteronomy 12, 32 through chapter 13, verse 18. What thing soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. If there arise among you a prophet, or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet, or that dreamer of dreams. For Yodhevaveh your God proveth you to know whether ye love Yodhevaveh your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after Yodhevaveh your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he hath spoken to turn you away from Yodhevaveh your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to thrust thee out of the way which Yodhevaveh thy God commanded thee to walk in. So shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or thy friend, which is as thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, namely of the gods of the people which are round about you, nigh unto thee, or far off from thee, from one end of the earth even unto the other end of the earth, Thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him, neither shall thine eye pity him, neither shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal him, but thou shalt surely kill him. Thine hand shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people, and thou shalt stone him with stones that he die, because he hath sought to thrust thee away from Yodhevaveh thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, and from the house of bondage. 
and all Israel shall hear and fear, and shall do no more any such wickedness as this is among you. If thou shalt hear, say, in one of thy cities, which Jehovah thy God hath given thee to dwell there, saying, Certain men, the children of Belial, are gone out from among you, and have withdrawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which ye have not known. Then shalt thou inquire, and make search, and ask diligently, and behold, if it be truth, and that thing certain, that such abomination is wrought among you, thou shalt surely smite the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, destroying it utterly, and all that is therein, and the cattle thereof, with the edge of the sword. And thou shalt gather all the spoil of it into the midst of the street thereof, and shalt burn with fire the city and all the spoil thereof, every whit for Yodhevave thy God, and it shall be an heap forever, it shall not be built again. And there shall cleave naught of the cursed thing to thine hand, that Yodhevafe may turn from the fierceness of his anger, and show thee mercy, and have compassion upon thee, and multiply thee, as he hath sworn unto thy fathers. When thou shalt hearken to the voice of Yodhevafe thy God, to keep all his commandments, which I command thee this day, to do that which is right in the eyes of Yotevave, thy God. Now reading from the JPS, our Jewish Publication Society translation, which is easier to understand, frankly. Deuteronomy chapter 13, 1 through 17. Be careful to observe only that which I enjoin upon you. Neither add to it nor take away from it. If there appears among you a prophet or a dream diviner, and he gives you a sign or a portent, saying, Let us follow and worship another god, whom you have not experienced, even if the sign or portent that he named to you comes true, do not heed the words of that prophet or that dream diviner. For the Lord your God is testing you to see whether you really love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Follow none but the Lord your God, and revere none but Him. Observe His commandments alone, and heed only His orders. Worship none but Him, and hold fast to Him. As for that prophet or dream diviner, he shall be put to death, for he urged disloyalty to the Lord your God, who freed you from the land of Egypt, and who redeemed you from the house of bondage to make you stray from the path that the Lord your God commanded you to follow. Thus you will sweep out evil from your midst. If your brother, your own mother's son, or your son or daughter, or the wife of your bosom, or your closest friend entices you in secret, saying, Let us come, let us worship other gods, whom neither you nor your fathers have experienced, from among the gods of the peoples around you, either near to you or distant, anywhere from one end of the earth to the other, do not assent or give heed to him. Show him no pity or compassion, and do not shield him, but take his life, 
let your hand be the first against him to put him to death, and the hand of the rest of the people thereafter. Stone him to death, for he sought to make you stray from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the, the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thus all Israel will hear and be afraid, and such evil things will not be done again in your midst. If you hear it said of one of the towns that the Lord your God is giving you to dwell in, that some scoundrels from among you have gone and subverted the inhabitants of, that, of the town, saying, Come, let us worship other gods, whom you have not experienced. You shall investigate and inquire and interrogate thoroughly. If it is true, the fact is established that abhorrent thing was perpetuated, perpetuated in your midst, Put the inhabitants of that town to the sword, and put its cattle to the sword. Doom it and all that is in it to destruction. Gather all its spoil into the open square, and burn the town and all its spoil as a holocaust to the Lord your God. And it shall remain in everlasting ruin, never to be rebuilt. Let nothing that has been doomed stick to your hand in order that the Lord may turn from his blazing anger and show you compassion, and in his compassion increase you, as he promised your fathers on oath. There are other similar passages, and that is the quotes from Deuteronomy. There are other similar passages that unambiguously warn against teachings that promote other gods. And at the end of this, of this podcast, I have a short list, and I will read through some of those other verses. I think, however, Deuteronomy chapter 13 requires no additional support for the point that I wish to make. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 13, read it. Read it. If, if Christians and counterfeit messianics would read this, it would go a long way to ridding the world of idolatry, at least within Christianity it would, and counterfeit messianism. All right, so what is a simple way to distinguish what is idolatrous worship of other gods? How, how can we do that? What, what is a, you know, a simple concept or method that we can use to know whether or not we're worshiping other gods and thus committing idolatry? Well, I'll pause here, and we will answer that question in part two. So join us in part two, where we discuss the worship of other gods and how worshiping Messiah as God in the flesh is indeed idolatrous worship of other gods. And in part two, we'll jump into the method, the clear and easy method and procedure that one can utilize to determine whether or not he or she is indeed worshiping other gods, and thus angering the living God. So thank you for listening, and goodbye.